God, we thank you that you are in our midst. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that you are a creative force of love. That we are called to be immersed in your reality. And that you are constantly inviting us to embody your love and goodness. As we heard in the first session, Lord, your desire is that your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And we as your friends, who are also your servants, come before you in deep need here in our South African story, in the chapter that we are in. As we heard last night, out of your word in Ezekiel 36, we want to consecrate ourselves. Lord, we ask you to instill in us the adventure of your spirit to help us to live as your apprentices. We thank you for that and pray it in your name. Amen. Today I want to talk, as I said, about the title, Training Naked with the Friends of Jesus. In 2014, when I wrote the book, Raw Spirituality, I had an American publicist, and this was my working title, and she said, my editor, this book will end up in the sex section of the bookstores. I don't think that title will work. So we settled for the title, Raw Spirituality. This title comes out of a piece of writing out of the book of Timothy, and I'm going to read it for us. It's uh, 1 Timothy 4. Verse 7 to 8, you will remember that Paul is writing to a young apprentice, a disciple, by the name of Timothy, and he's giving him very, very practical advice. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Train yourself. As Paul wrote these words to a young Timothy, this letter would have been circulated in small church communities, and when they heard this letter read, the original hearers would have gone, oh! because Paul uses a word in this text, the word train, which is the Greek word gumnatso, where we get our word gymnasium, which in that culture meant literally to train naked. Training, rawness. It takes us obviously back to the beginning of the story of our scriptures where we read that Adam and Eve were with God and they were naked and not ashamed. These hearers would have been shocked because the image that Paul used was the image of the Greek gymnasium. And in those days, if you maybe you shouldn't imagine it, just think about this. In those days, there were gymnasiums where people trained naked. And some of you who love history will know that the first few Olympics were competed in separately for male and female because they were competing in the naked. 
And so Paul uses this word to tell the young Timothy that he needs to train. It's a shocking image. In those days, some of the young Jewish boys wanted to fit into the gymnasium culture of the Hellenists, and they did all kinds of reconstructive surgery that I don't want to go into right now so that they could fit in. And here comes Paul, and he says, what I want you to do is to train yourself towards godliness. I think if Paul lived today in South Africa, he might have said, having a membership at Discovery that helps you to get into Planet Fitness or Virgin Active is of some help, but there's a kind of training that is more impressive. It's interesting that our culture is training us the whole time. And if you are not training for godliness, then you will be trained by the culture at large. Just think with me for a moment at the training devices that our culture developed. I'll show you one. Who recognizes this? It's an Apple Watch with three rings. An exercise ring, a move ring, and a calorie ring. Apple wants us to train, and so they designed a little watch, which Discovery now also co-opted into their training program. Let me quickly see here with a hand who has Discovery and is on Discovery Vitality. Just quickly put up your hand. Yes, I see those hands. This system is designed in a very simple way. Discovery has figured out a way to influence the way in which we move our bodies using devices that lock us into systems of discipline. Your watch even gives you interesting messages. Sometimes, if you are in the habit of training, Apple will let you know, you're off to a good start. Keep crushing it. This person's name peculiarly is Daddy. Keep crushing it, Daddy. Your move and exercise rings are way ahead for this time of day. Sometimes, they will give you this message. It's a bit more of a confronting message. Check your rings. Malcolm, your move and exercise rings are usually further along by now. Find some time to be active today. You can hear it's a little mix of encouragement and also reflection. My brother, who's 10 years younger than I, is running an experiment with his watch to see what would happen if he doesn't do anything for a month. So here was his message. It's a little bit, uh, uh, the, the, um, it's small, but it says, make it happen. You had a laid-back day yesterday. No worries, but close, uh, close at least one ring today. And then there's this message. You can still do it. Francois, there's still time to close both your move and exercise rings. It's totally worth it. In Johannesburg, I don't know if it's the same way here, people that are opted into vitality is obviously trying to accumulate points through their movements. And so on Friday evenings, you'll see a lot of Joburg people doing this with their watches. <laughs> nah? They'll be going, oh, praise the Lord, I'm moving, you know. 
So they'll be looking at Netflix, and then they will be accumulating their steps. Uh, some of you will know that Discovery had to change their ecosystem because in the beginning of Vitality, people used to put their fitness devices on their dogs. Train yourself unto godliness. A person that had huge influence in my life is a disciple of Christ. He died in 2014. His name was Dallas Willard. And almost everything I'm going to tell you today is a rehash of some of the things he and his friend Richard Foster taught me while I lived in America for three years. Dallas said, discipleship is an active life where we learn how not to be couch potatoes for Christ. And so today when we think of these words, train naked with the friends of Jesus, we are invited into a life where we are learning how to apprentice our bodies into the rhythms of God's goodness. Now, I start the book Raw Spirituality with a very honest story. So I want you to strap in because this is real life now. It's training naked. I'm also a pastor, so I'm not just doing academic stuff. Uh, and I love being a pastor because I think churches are schools of life in the Trinity. But as part of my pastoral practice, I don't hang out at offices too much. And if I do, I'm in an open space. So what that means is a lot of times I work in public spaces like coffee shops. And a few years ago, I was sitting in Mug and Bean in Santon working on something, and I had a delightful waiter. And during the service, he was bringing stuff to me, my order. We started a conversation, and it went like this. He said, oh, praise the Lord. There are two of us in this mug and bean that's born again. And I was looking around, and I'm like, just like, dude, that's amazing. How do you know it's just the two of us? I'm like, this restaurant is filled with people. He said, yeah. Maybe there's more, but I know you are one because no normal human being has a PowerPoint with so many scriptures on them. So we started talking, and he's like telling me that his faith journey recently started with God. And he's bubbling over. And in that restaurant space, we are, you know, in a, in a bubble of testimony. And so he brings my cappuccino and says, God is amazing. And then uh, he goes away a little bit. And as I ordered my, my main meal, he brought my meal, and then his tone changed. And he said this. He said, I love my new journey with God, but there's one problem. And now, obviously, this mug and bean has become a pastoral space. So I'm listening to the harvest the sound of the harvest, which is your convergence theme. And he says to me this. He says, I am loving my Sunday services, but pastor, I also love sex. And he walks away. <laughs> and now he's serving someone else, and I'm like in suspense. <laughs> and he comes back and he says, 
Before I met God, I was really promiscuous and slept around. He said, and still to this day, even though this faith journey has ignited, he says he finds himself going to a church service on Sunday in the morning and then sleeping with a different uh, woman in the evening. And then he unleashed a sentence on me that actually gave rise to the writing of a whole book. And now you need to strap yourself in. Very honest. He said, the problem with me is I have accepted Jesus into my heart, but he is not in my penis. Now, two things about that. I've never had a conversation like that. But I was working through Romans that Cornet quoted earlier this morning. And remember Paul said in Romans 6 verse 13, that what we should do is to give these instruments of our bodies as righteousness for God. This morning we focused on eyes. Open my eye. But what does it look like to be apprenticed to Jesus with our minds, our hearts, our hands, our noses, the way we walk? I was struck this morning by the Isaiah verse, beautiful are the feet that brings the good news. Christianity is a full body training. The big word for this that links to the holiness that Cornet talked about is that God takes his people into training through sanctification. And that is a lifelong process. And a lot of times what we've done to Christianity is we've reduced it to events or places, usually our worship services. And then what we forget is that the training ground for reigning is out there in our everyday lives. Here's how Jesus said it. Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the in, in the old ancient tradition, to be yoked was a way of talking about someone's teaching. Jesus is saying, if you take my teaching on you, if you train in that, if you become yoked with me, you will learn a kind of life that will be much more full of vitality than any vitality membership can give you. Life to the fullest. But one of the interesting things is that we need to sign up and say, Lord, I am going to become an apprentice of you, a disciple. And that word means learner. But it's not the kind of learning that we think of. 
in those days, learners didn't just want to have the knowledge of their rabbis. They wanted to become like their rabbis. One of my mentors was a man by the name of Eugene Peterson. He uh, did uh, the paraphrase of uh, the Bible in the message. When I was in America, he radically changed my life. He translated and paraphrased, and remember we use a paraphrase with a Bible translation, like the ESV. Uh, here's how he, he paraphrased this passage. He said, are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. So keep company with me and you will learn to live freely and lightly. The unforced rhythms of grace. You see, sometimes we make the mistake to think that grace is just for justification. That it is only a word that we use for when we have sinned and messed up. But Dallas Willard once said, Show me the saint that is living as a disciple, and I will show you someone that is burning grace like the fuel of a Boeing. He said, the saint burns more grace than a sinner. We are learning the unforced rhythms of grace. What does it mean to be trained as a body of Christ to have the body posture of Jesus? Now that word disciple obviously first of all means learner. And if you're going to learn, what are you going to make? Mistakes. And sometimes we have not become disciples because we're so afraid of making mistakes. But if you read through the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that whole text is filled of stories of disciples making mistakes. That's, by the way, one of the reasons why we can believe that the Word of God it's from God, because if people had to redact all of their mistakes, do you think Peter would have left in there that he ran away with his feet and with his legs? Of course not. He would have taken that out. To be a disciple, first of all, says that I am in process. Two years ago, my son Liam, who's now much older than when this happened, started skipping rocks. It's a beautiful feeling to skip a rock, no? You guys know when you bounce it on the water and then you have a competition on whose is bouncing the most. So Liam was at Belito in KZN and he took a flat rock and he started training. He became a disciple in throwing these little rocks. And he was practicing. He was disciplining himself. And at some point, I wasn't looking. I just heard, 
papa, papa, ek het het recht gekry. And he looked at me with such excited eyes and he said, I just skipped a rock seven times. And I said to him, show me. And he took a new rock and he wound up and he threw it. And as he threw it, that rock went clunk. Yeah, and I felt so embarrassed for him. I felt like one of our uh, uh, words, Corneille, uh, for South African word, sorry. Oh, I felt sorry. And then Liam looked up at me and he said a phrase that God dropped into my heart. I'm going to say it in Afrikaans and then I'll translate it. He looked up at me and he said, Tumar papa, ek leer nog. Don't worry dad, I'm still learning. Disciples are people that are yoked to Christ learning what it means to live in these unforced rhythms of grace. And it's a process. But we need to be active in that. The word Christian in the New Testament is used as an identity marker three times for followers of Jesus. Over 200 times is the word disciple. We are disciples of Jesus. Last night, as I streamed, or this morning as I listened to last night's stream, I was struck by Ezekiel 36 that the Lord brought into our midst. And in Ezekiel 36 verse 9, there's this verse. It says, For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and so on. And I thought about this passage because if we think discipleship is a process in which we try to earn God's love, we miss it. We are not learning in order to be loved. We're already loved. We are learning because our God is a God of goodness and love that is forming small communities throughout the world, joining God's mission of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For behold, I am for you. When we are intoxicated by God's goodness and love, we enter these new rhythms. We want to become like this God. And the main way we do this is by looking at the life of Jesus. And we become discipled by Jesus. Now this word, disciple, obviously has a few de derivative words. Words that we don't like in our culture. The word discipline comes from the word disciple. When Liam learned how to throw the rock, he had to exercise in a specific flow, using specific rhythms, he had to discipline his arm. It's a word I think about a lot. My daughter is in high school now, and uh, earlier this week I got this SMS. It's also in Afrikaans, but I'll translate it. It said, Discipline nota, meneer Smith. Taylor Smith, hedi volgende. Discipline notice, Mr. Smith. 
So as a parent, can you imagine what happened to my heart? I'm like, huh? what happened? And then when I opened up the note, it said, your child got positive discipline points. And I thought again, how easy it is to think that discipline is opposed to grace. When you start to follow God in the footsteps of Jesus, Jesus says, I am now going to discipline you into the way of the Trinity. I'm going to help you to become holy and to live in a different beat than the culture around you. My friend John Pelser is here with me. Uh, John has a very interesting story with, with Cornet himself. He was one of Cornet's students. Uh, Cornet uh, encouraged him to study further, which uh, Jean did. Jean is a, a very good friend who in the last few months started a movement where he wanted people to become aware of the suffering that people go under with mental suffering. And when he was at Cambridge, where he got his master's degree, he was in the rowing team. And so there he learned the discipline and form of what it means to be in the rowing squad of Cambridge. He took that form and is now using that practice to invite people to row around the world in Virgin Actives and wherever they can find a, a, a rowing machine. A few weeks ago, he was videoing what it looks like to be disciplined in your rowing. And he took a, a video. Unbeknownst to him, there was a peluka in the back who is not disciplining himself in the right way. So I want you to quickly check this video. Check the guy there in the left. Huh? So Jacques, John is here in the right. You can see he's disciplined. He's doing his forms. I don't know what the other guy is doing. I think he might be getting ready for liftoff. Huh? When we enter as friends of Jesus who train naked, we are learning how to row in the rowboat of the Trinity. And the strokes that we start to learn are sometimes very strenuous. Love your enemy. It is more blessed to give than to receive. These strokes that Jesus instilled in us for a moment can feel very harsh. This morning when I woke up at five, this verse just dropped into my heart that comes out of Hebrews. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
I was struck this morning, and I'm sure it is the same in the Cape, by many of you who came forward for prayer that said, God, touch me. I think that is wonderful. That touch of God must be supplemented in training for God. Taking our everyday life and learning what it means to fill our lives with hot spots that is anointed in God. Because as we train, something starts to happen in our lives. We become more Christ-like individually and as groups together. Our country at the moment needs the body of Christ more than ever. We cannot have a conference like this without reflecting on the waves of xenophobia that broke out this week. I taught in Stellenbosch, and as I came back and got my Uber, my Uber driver was a Zimbabwean, and he said, my family and I, we are afraid of living here in South Africa. How are we the body of Christ? As a male in our country, I feel like, like I need to repent and say, I haven't done my utmost to make this country safe for women and children. And it's not just good enough to say, I'm loving towards people around me. It means confronting, learning to train what it means to live a different kind of life. The training allows us to live in the yoke of Christ. We become more like Jesus. A few weeks after uh, Jean showed me his uh, gymnasium experience, we reflected on what happened there. I asked him, did you go to that person and say, listen, you are rowing like an absolute muhu? And he said, no, because I don't have relationship. And that week, uh, Lifehacker, which is a very interesting website, had a whole discussion whether you are allowed to correct someone in the gymnasium that you don't know. And I was thinking of Paul in Corinthians when he basically has the same discussion and says, we don't correct people on the outside of the church, but what we do is we exercise the discipline of what it means to be Christian inside. A few weeks later, John sent me this video. A young man saw him rowing in the Virgin Active, and he said to John, I really like your form. Will you teach me? Now check the difference here. The unforced Rhythms of grace. My friend uh, Dallas Willard wrote a beautiful book called The Divine Conspiracy, where he says that God's conspiracy 
is that he wants to change the world. And to do that, he uses a body, the body of Christ. And we are being formed so that we can collectively be those people who learn to live these rhythms. In our communities, these rhythms are very basic. I'll just quickly go around the little picture there. Right in the middle is a mirror that says that we follow the God in whose image we are made. And that each one of us has an image of God. Hallowed be your name. If your God is not the good and beautiful God of the Father, Son, and Spirit, then your life and the rhythm of your life will go askew. Then we make Rhythms available in our lives where we plug into this God in a daily way. And that's the plug symbol. The next one is that we have this invitation to gather around a poiki, a nice South African thing, where our braaiflace fira, the place where we are hanging, becomes little spots of hope in our country. We learn that it's not just the pastors who have a gift to give, but that each one of us are graced by a very specific contribution. And sometimes what we can do is we can think it's only the people on these stages in our churches that are gifted. And then God plants us in neighborhoods as trees. If our neighborhoods don't become places of goodness and love because the body of Christ is there, then we need to wake up. And that's that tree. Then the clock is a rhythm of thinking of your nine to five, your day with Jesus at your job. Surely, that is a place of training. We say in our culture, time is money, and therefore we also learn how to Give our resources so that it could synchronize with God. And then the last two there. God is using a circle of where the excluded are included into community. It's very interesting that that word Paul used with training naked. We get in the Gospels in Matthew 25 when Jesus said, I was naked, whom not so. And you clothed me. If our communities are communities that are just socio-economic bubbles, then we are more like medical aids like discovery than churches. In my own local faith community, in the last year, God has brought people from the street into our community joining our worship services. And the catalyst for that was an 87-year-old disciple who said, these kids begging on the street who are addicted to cocaine need Jesus. And she brought them in. And then lastly, these rhythms has to do with what it means to be people that become whole. 
We're a country that is traumatized. The levels of anger in our country is really next level. But we are apprenticing ourselves to a different teacher. I want to end with probably my favorite Dallas Willard line. He says, the aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and its most glorious inhabitant. I see I have four minutes, so I'm going to use it. I'll tell you one story. What, uh, not that one. One of my favorite stories in the last few years happened uh, in the Platteland. A, a minister came to visit me and a bunch of my friends. We exercised these rhythms in the suburbs and in the townships. And this um, minister came to visit us and we were sitting in a shabin in a township. And two of my friends, one a Koza and one a Sutu, talked to this minister. And the minister said, how do we make disciples? And my friend Kutlanu said, I'm going to draw a few pictures for you. And he drew these pictures, each one with a little invitation. An invitation to have healthy images of God, an invitation to plug in to this God, an invitation to have companions on the journey, an invitation to learn how I can contribute, an invitation to be in the community as a tree, an invitation to use your money and your gifts to the glory of God. And he drew the last two on the napkin, an invitation to bring the excluded in and to live from a place of health. And this pastor wrote it down on a napkin. And he went back to the Platteland, and a few weeks later, he got a phone call. It was a very honest phone call. I can't uh, give you the full words, but it went like this. Domini, I want to follow Jesus, but boop, I don't have a boop idea boop how to follow Jesus. Can I make an appointment? So this friend of mine, dear follower of Jesus, expected this man who said he wants to be discipled. And the guy walked into his office, and my friend was like, what is he going to tell him? And he remembered Kutlanu's napkin. So he said, well, I've got some ideas. He said, do you know God loves you? Yes, he says, I know it, you know. I know it in my heart, Ach, in my head. The guy says to him, but do you know it in the fiber of your being? And he starts to explain these rhythms. And the guy's there, he's got a habit of smoking, so he's writing down the symbols on his cigarette packet. And he goes back to his friend. They live in a complex. He's got three friends. All three of them messed up their marriages. And they stand next to the Bryflace fear, like they do every Friday. And he says to, say, to his friends, Mana, guys, we say we are Christians, but let's not kid ourselves. We don't live as Christians. And he says, I'm going to give you a few symbols. And he starts teaching from his cigarette box. 
And he says to them, if you think of these invitations, which one is the one Jesus might be inviting us into? And the one guy says, ah, it's so easy, man. It's that one with the little circle with the inclusion and exclusion because we are racists. Say, we hate people that are not like us. Now, the backstory is that a few weeks earlier, they had a physical confrontation with some of the people living in their complex. So the guy's like, yes, man, it's quite obvious. Racism doesn't honor God. Let's do something. What can we do? They're like, maybe we should invite some blacks to our braai. So they walk down, and just then guys come in with their car. And they knock on the... And the guy's like putting up the window. Like they don't want to get hit again. Open the window, and they say, You know what? Do you want to come for a braai? So they braai. Three weeks later, the three friends and the three new friends, their interracial friends, find themselves in the pastor's office crying, saying, we've discovered that God made us as humans just the same. And we want to further grow into this life of what it means to be disciples. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. I'm deeply appreciative of God's work in the shofar communities and I'm, as someone that's not in your community, so thankful for God's work in this body. And may each one of you continue your journey of discipleship and learn what it means to live in the rhythms of the unforced grace of God. I'm going to ask Alistair to come forward, and he will lead us in a prayer. I can do that. Um, God, as we've spoken this week, I first just want to come to you and say sorry. I'm sorry for the way in which the apathy of our discipleship has created so much mayhem in this country. But then I want to thank you, Lord, for your exceptional invitation. Come. And I thank you that you are the smiling Christ who is leading us into life, discipling us and teaching us to do what you taught us to do. We thank you that you are the kind of teacher that gives your spirit enable us, and that our training becomes deeply, deeply embedded in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And I pray that our way of embodying, embodying your love would attract new people into your kingdom.
We cannot do that attraction by ourselves, Lord. But we thank you that you have placed us as your body in this country for a time like this. I pray, Lord, that you will open our eyes, as we said in the first session, but that you will turn our inward being so that our hands and our feet will be open and willing. Show us too, Lord, where we are part of the problem. Lead us to repentance. We thank you that you desire life for us. I pray, Lord, give each one of us the next dot that we need to connect. I pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of your glorious Spirit. Amen.